You're listening to audio from Redwood Baptist Church. If you need any more information about us, go to www.redwoodbaptist.org. We hope and pray the message that you're about to listen to will strengthen you, encourage you, and make you more like Jesus. Blessings. You may be seated. So thankful that you're here today. And take your Bibles, please. Turn to John chapter 15. John chapter 15, Friend and Food Truck Sunday. What a way uh, to celebrate the resurrected Savior. And uh, the truth is, we celebrate Him every week, don't we? Uh, every song, we, uh, every song we, we, we mention Christ and, and we sing about Him and uh, the resurrected power and life that we have Him. I just want to welcome you, those of you that I have met for the first time uh, this morning. Uh, just thank you uh, for giving us the uh, just the privilege to worship uh, with you today. You've, uh, you with others that are here have just made today that much better. And I just want to want to thank you. I want you to uh, feel welcome. Hopefully you did uh, get a, a welcome packet uh, there. It's just a small token uh, of our appreciation for you to uh, worship with us. Take the time. Fill out that Get Connected card. Put that in uh, the offering plate. We wouldn't ask anything from you today other than just put that in there so we can uh, connect with you throughout uh, the week, answer any of your questions. Oftentimes, uh, people, they, they, they carry questions in life. And uh, we would love to come alongside you in any way that you would allow us to, to try to answer some of those questions. And we would uh, try to give you the, uh, just the, uh, the, the proper answers uh, to those questions. And uh, hopefully you'll allow us to do that. But mainly, we're just thankful that you're here. We'll, uh, we'll get to Eaton in about 30 minutes or so. And uh, I know that you also came for the worship and for the preaching, uh, but uh, I'm looking forward to some fellowship uh, around a yummy, yummy food truck here uh, in a little bit. John chapter number 15, and I'm going to be preaching a message that is entitled, The Joy-Filled Life. The Joy-Filled Life. And you're going to find that that is directly connected with the concept of friendship. And uh, we're going to see that here uh, in John 15. As we celebrate our friends today, we enjoy some, um, some food, and definitely Jesus was, was eating during this time of John 14, 15, 16, and so forth uh, with his disciples. They were breaking bread, and so we're going we're gonna to combine those two things today, and uh, hopefully uh, this morning's uh, message will be a uh, help and an a, a, a encouragement to you. We're going to pick it up in verse number 12. The words will be up on the screen there if you uh, didn't have a chance to bring a Bible, you can follow along on the screen. This is my commandment, that ye love one another as I have loved you. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Jesus is speaking here, ye are my friends, if you do whatsoever I command you. Henceforth I call you not servants, for the servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth, but I have called you friends. For all things that I have heard of my Father, I have made known unto you. We just read the, uh, some of the, the final moments of Jesus' time with his most dearest of friends, the, uh, the early disciples, uh, those, uh, those Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and so forth, those, those, early, uh, those early men that he had called out uh, to follow him and to be a part of his uh, earthly ministry, and then take the gospel and what Christ did on into the future. And you and I, we are um, here today because of uh, really uh, a part of this, th th this group here, 
sending forth of the gospel. And so he's, he's breaking bread with them. Uh, he spent uh, many, many hours with them. You can begin reading in chapter 13 if you want to kind of get the whole context of it. He's getting ready to be betrayed. He's getting ready to be uh, put on, a, on trial. And it was an extremely illegal trial. Uh, it was done at uh, just literally uh, the beginning of it was done at odd times. And uh, the trying wasn't, uh, it wasn't legal in any fashion. And then ultimately, uh, just a few hours later, probably about a day later or so, he was going to give up his life. He was going to lay down his life for his, for his friends. And so we really get to know the heart of Jesus in these, in these chapters. Now, obviously, I can't preach all four of these chapters here with you this morning. And so I've, I've picked just a few verses here, and we'll look at other places. But we get to, we get to know the heart of Jesus. He's in this upper room, and while he's been in this upper room, uh, been breaking bread with them, he has, he has spoken of what true servanthood looked like. He, the God of the universe, washed the feet of these men. Uh, he, uh, he, he literally took their, their feet, which again, in, uh, in, in historical Bible times, it would have been, they would have been wearing sandals of some kind, very dusty, dirty robes. And so he would have knelt down and he would have washed the very feet of these disciples. If you've been in church for any length of time, aren't you glad that we don't do foot washing today, right? And uh, so I wouldn't want you anywhere near my, my feet. But he's, he's displayed in this time with the disciples what what true servanthood really is. It's not so much that you would get your feet washed, but that you would wash someone else's feet. He also taught of his exclusiveness as the only way to heaven and to the Father. In chapter 14, he talks about how he's the way, the truth, and the life, and no man cometh unto the Father, or no man comes to heaven but through, but through him. While he's with his dearest of friends, he he spoke of his betrayal by a close friend, actually uh, by a man that was in the room there, being Judas Iscariot. He, he foretold of that. He foretold of how the Holy Spirit was going to come along and he was going to be another comforter, is what Jesus called him. The, the Holy Spirit, I've, I've been here with you. I've comforted you. You've seen amazing miracles. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go unto the Father. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give my life a ransom. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to die on the cross. But when I go to heaven, my Father is going to send another comforter, someone to walk with you and who will never leave you, the Holy Spirit of God. And he foretold of that in these chapters. And each of these topics spoken of the Lord in his, in his final moments show us that they're very, very serious topics for the Lord. But this conversation he has with the disciples, as I said earlier, they're really, they're really showing us his heart. But one of the things that stands out the most to me in this passage, when you kind of pick it up in chapter 13 and you begin to read through 16, which would be considered that upper room uh, time frame, is that the concern that Jesus had for his disciples, the care and the compassion that he had for his friends, and, and I love it so much. We see that very clearly early on. It says in John 13, verse 1, up on the screen, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour was come, and that he should depart out of this world unto the Father, he was getting ready to die, 
having loved his own which were in the world, he loved them unto the death. And so here, John, he points to the love of Christ and, and how he loved them to the very uttermost. He, he loved them to the, to the very end. And Jesus, hear me, Jesus loves us beyond what you and I can even comprehend. You and I, we can we can kind of we can try to understand it, but 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 it's beyond what you and I can even shape shape our minds around the very love that Jesus Christ has for us. Then two chapters later, we find Jesus speaking to his disciples about vines and grapes, or in other words, more like spiritual fruit. And then he and then he tells them that he's teaching them these things because he wants them to have joy. But he doesn't want them to just have a little bit of joy. He says, I want your joy to literally be full. I want it, I want it to overflow. And so John 15, the, the text for us here this morning in verse number 11 says, these things I have spoken unto you. Again, chapter 13, chapter 14, they're all in the upper room. They're breaking bread. They're, they're, they're just, they're talking. They're, they're, they're friends. They're, if you can allow me to put it in today's vernacular, they're just hanging out. And Jesus is speaking to them, the things that are the dearest to his heart. And he says, I've told you all of this so that your joy might remain and that your joy might be full. Now, you've got to understand something. Jesus is getting ready to die. Jesus is getting ready to leave them. And so he says, I want your joy to remain. There's going to be some sorrow. There's going to be, there's going to be some, some questions of what is going on. And yet... I want your joy to remain, and I want it to, I want it to be full. Now, we know that that is actually in uh, the Holy Spirit, in his ministry, love, joy, peace, long-suffering. It's his fruit that comes about in our lives. And so today, uh, I, I, I'm not going to preach very long this morning. I, I just want to take us kind of through these, past, these verses here, and I want us to see how our life can be a life of joy. I believe that's what you and I truly want. If you and I came this morning as a seeker, most likely one of the things that you and I are seeking is a life of joy, is a life of, uh, of meaning, a life of fulfillment. And this happens only as we cooperate with the Holy Spirit, and as we live in obedience to uh, God's revelation to us in His Word. And so, let's look at this text and see how this takes place in our life. You and I, we're, we, we, we are joy seekers. We, we, we tend to be, uh, in, the, in, in, the, in the richest of terms, kind of hedonistic, and that we're, we are seeking joy. We are seeking pleasure. And so, let's this morning see from our text how we can, how we can receive it, to its fullest, to its max. I remember several years ago, I believe it was uh, 2010, remember when the Giants won their first World Series of three in six years. Remember that? Or however many it was, three in five years, whatever it was. You guys remember that, right? 2010, any Giants fans in here? Okay, a couple of you. Any A's fans? No, no, we, no, we, we won't go there, all right? Um, but I remember that. And I remember being a part of a World Series game. It wasn't the one where they clinched. But I remember being uh, or, or, or seeing Broad Street, you know, right after they had won. I mean, everyone's going out there crazy. Ah, I mean, it was nuts, right? And I remember a 
a couple days later, something brought me back up to the city, and I was driving through there. And you know what? That joy didn't remain. And if you guys are Giants fans, you're really not happy right now. We stink. And so, yeah, they brought some joy with that. They brought some emotion with that. In some cities, they gotta, they got to grease the light poles, right, because people are going to climb up light poles. I mean, just craziness. But how does it last? How do these... These moments which God absolutely wants you to enjoy. But what's the deeper, the deeper meaning? And I see we find that, I I think we find that here in this text. And we'll go through it. The words will be up on the screen. I want you to see, first of all, love for friends. Love for friends. If I could put it another way, love for others. For others. Look at verse 12 up on the screen. This is my commandment, that ye love one another as I have loved you. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Jesus begins explaining this life. Again, verse 12, he says, hey, I told you all this so that you could have your joy would remain and that it would be full. And then he goes into this new or this commandment that he's reminding us really of a, a commandment he gave us in chapter 13. But he says, I want, you to, I want you to be about others. About others. Specifically, love for one another. He repeats this uh, later in the chapter, in verse 17. These things I command you, that ye love one another. See, it was back in chapter 13. All in this setting, all in a matter of hours, in this upper room, where, where Jesus gave, this, gave this, new, this new commandment. This was... This was kind of a a new ethic that Jesus was uh, putting forth. This new reality was intended to characterize followers of God. This was to characterize those that were followers of Jesus or that were disciples or, in other words, believers. He said in John 13, verse 34, A new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. And so this was, this was like a new radical idea that we would love one another, but how are we to love? Well, he goes on later, is that Jesus loved so much to the uttermost, he was willing to lay down his life for his friends. And so you and I, we've got this, this new commandment that's taking place in the upper room. He's around all of his friends, and he's like, guys, I want you to, I want you to love. We have a God of love. Because of that, you and I are to be people of love. Elmer Town said this, If believers are in fellowship with one another as they are with Christ, then love surely ought to characterize all their mutual relationships. So here's what Elmer Towns is saying. He's saying, hey, listen, a believer, if, if you're a follower of Jesus, if you... If you're one of his disciples, then the characteristic is you're in union with Christ as you are in relationships with others. It ought to be characterized with love, compassion, care, so on, you know, and so forth. And so John speaks of this again. Uh, he wrote uh, later on uh, after, uh, Christ's, uh, after Christ's death in 1 John chapter 4, verse 11. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also love one another. I want to make a statement here. I want you to hear it. If God 
who is perfect loves us, then we are to love those who are not perfect. Now, what's the assumed in that statement? If God, who is perfect, loved us, we are to love those who are not perfect. The assumed is, is that we're not perfect. And is it okay if the one that is speaking to you acknowledges before you that I am so far from being perfect? Sarah is teaching the kids' class right now, but all you got to do is ask her. Okay? I guess you could answer. You could ask my daughter who's sitting down here. Cease from being, but God so radically loves me. And so if he's one to love me, who's imperfect, then I ought to also love the imperfect, which is, of course, everyone in this room and everyone in this world. And so often we need, we need practical reminders for how we express love to each other inside of a community. Paul gives us a wonderful example of how we love each other and how we express that. He tells us later on in Galatians chapter 6, verse 2, Bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. So fulfilling that law of Christ is actually a loaded statement. But one of the ways you can fulfill the law of Christ is you can fulfill his commandment that he gave his disciples early on. I give you a new commandment, right? To love one another. And so you and I, we can love one another. You and I can fulfill the law of Christ or we can fulfill that command of Christ by bearing one another's burdens. Whose burden are you bearing? I'll be honest with you, man, I can be so self-centered. I can be all about me. I can want all of you to bear my burdens. And thank you for doing that when you do. But who are, whose burden are we bearing? Who are we showing this radical love towards? By the way, love that is really undeserved. I'm going to get to that here in a moment. But, but love that, that's undeserved. And, 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 we, and we love them. One of the ways we love is by bearing burdens, and it fulfills the, fulfills the law of Christ. John also tells us um, that we love others, it, that the love of others is an evidence that we're followers of Christ. First John 3, and it says, and know that we have passed from death unto life, because we love the brother, and he that loveth not his brother abideth in death. Whosoever hateth the brother is a murderer, and ye know that no murderer hath eternal life abiding in, in him. Hereby perceive we the love of God, because he laid down his life for us, we ought to lay down our life for the brethren. But whoso hath this world's goods, and we got stuff, okay, and sees his brother in need, and shutteth up his bowels of compassion, or his heart of compassion for him, and how dwelleth the love of God in him. My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and the truth. This is what John's saying. John is saying, how can we who claim the love of Christ, not be men and women of radical love. Of where we see a need in someone's life and we have the ability to meet it. We help that person. What John is saying is like, hey, when, when, when we don't, when we, when, we, when, when we shut it up, when we, when we keep it for ourselves, ah, that's not, that's not showing anything. And so this morning we... We desire to feed you all. I, I hope you all plan on staying, even if you uh, even if you weren't planning on coming or anything. Just just stay and let us and, and let us love on you with a with a meal free of charge. I'll, I'll talk about that uh, more later. But 
if, we've, if we have the ability to, follower of Jesus, you ought to. Loving, fr- loving our friends. Love for people. Love for friends. Listen, if we have love for others, Jesus is saying you will have joy in your life. It's an oxymoron. Obviously, like, man, I want you to love me. I want you to do cool stuff for me. But it's an oxymoron here. Jesus is saying, hey, if you'll make your life about others, then your, your, your joy will remain and your joy will actually be full. The truth is, you and I, we have high standards for who we show love to, right? But if we want to love like Christ, we're going to understand that gospel love, that it's completely undeserved. See, you and I, our high standards are, hey, hey, if you love me, if you're kind to me, then I'll be kind to you. You know, if you say nice things to me, and if you remember this and that, then I will be kind to you. We, we've, got, we've got super high standards. But when you and I understand the love that God said, shed to us in the gospel, and that you realize that we violated all the rights of love. <laughs> There's nothing worthy of Ryan, nothing of the love of God. I assure you that. I violated all of that. I violated all the claims of having deserved this great love from God. And so now as Christians, as followers of Christ, we need to understand what Piper said. John Piper said, we never earn the love of Jesus. We can only love and live rightly because he first, because he loved us first. We love, man, because he loves us. That's awesome. That takes the pressure off, guys. You don't have to, I'm, I'm not trying to put a backpack on you this morning to where you leave here like, oh man, I got to be more of a loving person this week. No, it, it just comes natural because Christ, he, he's in us. Jesus is certainly the example of love, but Jesus is more than an example. He is the enabler of one that can love. He comes inside of us and he resides within us and he is love, John tells us in 1 John. He is love. I have loved you, Jesus said. It is supposed to be this love that shows the world that we're followers of Jesus. I hope it's my love for the community of Redwood City and abroad that shows that that I'm a believer. Sometimes often we we think, well, you know, if I'll, if I'll just speak a certain way, if I'll just look a certain way, if I'll just, you know, act a certain way, then, you know, then they'll really know that I'm a Christian. Man, can I encourage you to radically love people and do it in, it just, in just radical ways? Obviously, Jesus laid down his life, but it, it's a type of where, of where we're willing to, to give of ourselves. The gospel is preached most loudly to an unbelieving world when our love for other believers reflects that very gospel. What I mean by that is is when you and I understand that we were unlovable and yet God still loved us. Boom! Awesome! That changes the way that we love other people. This life is supposed to be a life of joy. Feeling joyless today? Are you living a life for others? Or is it me-centered? We live in a world that becomes very... it's, It's... easy to be me-centered and they it's like promoted for you to be me-centered and it's and it's all about you and and i'm not against creature comforts trust me okay but if we live our lives for others man it just makes a difference in our life are you serving them by bearing their burdens the next point's a lot faster and everyone 
Okay, all right. Love for friends. Love for friends. You want to be, you want to be a meaningful, purposeful, joyful life? Man, live for others. Love others. Secondly, living as friends. This is a key, and I'm going to try to, I'm going to, try to get us to understand this. Living as friends. Look at verse 14. It'll be up on the screen. Ye are my friends if you do whatsoever I have commanded you. Henceforth I call you not servants, for the servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth, but I have called you friends. For all things that I have heard of my Father I have made known unto you. William Barclay said this, this phrase is lit up, or it just shines bright, by a custom that's practiced at the courts, both of the Roman empires and of the kings in the Middle East, of, of, would have been a Bible days. At these courts, there was a very select group called the Friends of the King, or the Friends of the Emperor. At all times, they had access to the king. They even had the right to come to his bedchamber at the beginning of the day. He talked to them, the friends, before he talked to his generals, his rulers, and his statesmen. The friends of the king were those who had the closest and most intimate connection with him. I mean, in, in the kind of, it is this kind of intimate access that Jesus is graciously granting to all of his friends. All of his friends. Verse 12, which would state, this is my commandment that ye love one another as I have loved you. So this teaches us that in or earlier, when it says that if you keep my commandments, uh, how you doing with that? You keeping them all? Do you know them all? I mean, I could look them up, but I don't know every single one of them off the top of my head. And so, a lot of times, we think we 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 see the words, you know, if you keep my commandments. No, no, no. Listen, the, the verse verse twelve tells us, as I have loved you. Here's what that means: that it means that it's not a conditional if; it is a evidential if meaning that jesus says that our friendship is evidence by our obedience listen to me you guys are not always going to obey i don't always obey i know most times people want like the speaker and the pastor or whatever you know to be the the, the perfect hero no 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 no. that is only jesus and so you and i it, it's not a conditional it's going to be evidential when we obey it shows that we have been radically befriended, radically loved by God. And so by, I, I don't want to get into the weeds, but by the grammar and the syntax of verse 14, if you were to kind of go back into the original language, it basically tells us that we are friends and that we will be obedient, living as friends. The key idea is we live as friends of the king. When we do, we desire to obey. Too often, we're living as servants. And there's no blessings in that, and there's no rewards in that. And so what will happen is if we're, if we're not careful, Jesus, we've got to understand, he's speaking here to these Jewish disciples, okay? And of a relationship change between those and, the, and those that were going to follow the Lord. In the Old Testament, Israel always saw themselves as servants of God. We'll see that in Leviticus 25. For unto me, the children of Israel are servants. 
They are my servants whom I brought forth out of the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. So servants, they serve out of duty, out of requirement, out of fear. Hey, you cross the master, you cross the king, off with their head, right? Isn't that what they said? Right? So that's not how you and I are supposed to serve. We don't, we, we don't live our lives based on, 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 on servanthood that way. Okay? The effect of Christ's friendship to us was a change in our relationship. But it's also a change in our motivation. Listen to me. If I will live as a friend, I'm happy to do things for you because you're my friend. But if we are viewing our followership of Jesus as a have to, I have to go to church, I have to read the Bible. I have to pray. Are all those things good? Yes or no? Yes or no? Thank you. I know y'all are hungry, and I told you I was going to go quicker. I lied. See, I told you I'm not perfect. I didn't do that intentionally. So you and I, if it's a have to, oh, man. Pastor for the last three weeks, Mike even taught a, a series for three weeks on sharing Jesus. I have to talk to my friends. Or it is a, I get into it. I'm in a friend relationship with Jesus. Jesus is awesome. Jesus brings such joy into my life. I, I get to do this. I get to come and worship. I get to come and clap my hands. No, you've done that yet. Hey, the Bible says, oh, clap ye hands. Man, next time we worship, man, someone clap. Everyone else is going to get nervous. I get that. That's why I did it in preaching time, because I'm the only one that can talk right now, right? Okay. So, get to. We live as friends. We don't live our lives as, oh, man, Jesus is around this corner. I better live right. Oh, my Lord, my friend. That's what Jesus calls you. Jesus calls you his friend. Because you're no longer servants. You don't do this out of duty. Hey, hey, this is, this is a friend relationship. Take the backpack of weight off. You don't have to. You get to. And you say, Ryan, that's just semantics. Try it. Try it. It brings such joy. Joy to obey the commandments. A joy to live and be a follower of Jesus Christ. We're okay this morning? I know you're getting hungry, right? Okay. One of the best scriptural examples of this kind of friendship is what Jesus speaks of when he talks about Abraham in the Old Testament. Isaiah 41, verse 8. But thou, Israel, art my servant. Jacob, whom I have chosen, the seed of Abraham, my friend. Jump to 2 Chronicles 20. Art thou, art, art not thou our God, who didst drive out the inhabitants of this land before thy people Israel, and gavest it to the seed of Abraham, thy friend, forever? James 2, 23. And the scriptures were fulfilled, which saith, Abraham believed God. And it was imputed unto him for righteousness. And he was called what? The friend of God. Israel followed out of duty. But Abraham, he followed by faith. And so the gift of being 
a friend of God is appropriated to those who come to God by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. No faith, no friendship. No faith, no friendship. It's faith in Christ. We're going to see that here in a moment. But I want to drive this down further for those that would maybe claim that they're a believer in this room. It is of the same who comes to Christ in faith, who walks by faith in the gospel, and is also rewarded because of that faith. One of the reasons that we're not practically living as friends is because we're living as servants. But we're, hear me, we're living as servants to sin. Paul tells us in Romans 6, Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourself servants to obey, his servants ye are to him who obey. I wish I had a pair of chains up here, but I don't. Whether of sin unto death or obedience unto righteousness. But God be thanked that ye were the servants of sin, but ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered you. Delivered you. Paul tells us here that we do not have to live as servants. We, we live as friends. We serve righteousness out of abiding love for God. Let me give you the definition here. It already jumped up there. No worries. It's okay, Nick. The definition of reconciliation is enemies are made friends. See, that's one of the, 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 the best pictures of friendship that the gospel gives us. It's the doctrine of reconciliation. That enemies... Sinners can be made a friend. That, a, that, a, that an egregious sinner that has sinned against the holy God that says, Ryan, you shouldn't lie. Mm. Ryan, you shouldn't you think wrong. Ryan, you shouldn't go there. You shouldn't say this. You shouldn't do this. All the things that an enemy is now invited to the table for friends. I mean, Jesus is breaking bread with these people, and this, this is all just brand new. It's like, man, I, I love you. I love you. You're no longer, you're no longer my enemy. You're no longer uh, servants. You are my friend. Romans 5.10 says, For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Hey, guys. We were enemies. But because God sent Jesus Christ and he walked on this earth some 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ was tempted at all points like as we are and he never sinned one, 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 one ounce of sin and he died on the cross. And what that does when we have faith, no faith, no friendship, but when we have faith in Jesus, we have faith in what he did, you and I, we get invited to the table. You and I, we no longer live as servants. We no longer live as enemies. No, we, we live as friends. We, we get to walk this earth. You know, those of you in here that, that I, I look forward to getting to know the others that are here that I've made you for the first time today. But those of you that I've, you know, that I've known for all this time, guess what? I don't fear seeing you. Man, on Sundays, I can't wait to see you. You know, for those of you that are huggers, man, you're going to hug. Those of you that handshake, it's all good. Those of you that want to do an elbow bump, it's all good. Those of you that just want to say, hey, it was all good too. But I don't, I'm not afraid to see you. Why? Because you're my friend. You're my friend. 
man, it's time that we start seeing God. It's time that we start seeing Jesus like that. But it comes with faith. It comes with trusting what Christ did so that we can be reconciled. So that we can be right with God. To live a life of joy, we must embrace the friend relationship with Christ that the gospel so graciously and richly provides us. Jesus knows what will give us joy. Nothing gives us joy like living the gospel as our greatest confidence and focus. Nothing gives us more joy than that. In doing so, you're going to live for others. You're going to live in a friendship with Christ. Not a servant, oh, I have to. No, no, no. It's a friendship. I don't call you servants anymore. You're my friends. And oh, by the way, I'm going to show it to the nth degree. I'm going to die on the cross. I'm going to lay my life down for you. And then you're going to live for Christ's purposes. Feeling empty today? Jesus offers a fulfilling life. Feeling joyless? Jesus offers joy. Are you always seeking the next happiness, the next high, the next, oh, I've got I've to do this and I, I've got to do that? Can, I, can you just hear what I'm about to say? I promise you, if you will end your pursuit this morning with Jesus will make you happy. He'll fulfill you. If you end the pursuit of, of any, everything else and you just end with Christ, I promise you, you'll feel, like, you'll, you'll feel the friendship like you've never felt before. No doubt we've got some great friend relationships in this room. But man, they all compare to the friend that we have in Jesus. None of this is possible for someone who is living as an unbeliever. Someone who's living without faith, hear what I'm about to say, I'm not trying to be mean. They're still enemies. But if we have faith in what Christ did, if we have faith in the fact that he walked this earth, that he tasted death, the Bible says, for every man as he went to that cross. With faith that he was there taking our sin upon him. He was taking what was separating us from God, our sin. I'm one. And he was taking all of that sin. The Bible says he bore it on that tree, Peter tells us. We have faith in that. We become right with God. We become reconciled. Another Bible word, we become born again. We become a follower of Jesus. Christian. Let's pray here this morning. Please, every head bowed, every eye closed.